Welcome to the Baptist Pulpit. This podcast is designed to introduce to the audience Baptist preachers, both living currently in America or across the world, and also to introduce classic speakers, men of the past. There were Baptist preachers that have inspired men like myself for years to preach the Word of God. And they also, through their preaching, highlight Baptistic principles. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Pulpit Podcast. Challenge you to go to baptistpulpit.com. Look up some of the resources. We have other podcasts that are available from other men. We also feature one, myself, called The Baptist Vices. I think you'd enjoy that. We have authors, an author section, and you can go there and it'll take you to their website. Prayerfully, it can be a help to you. Our featured speaker for this week on The Baptist Pulpit is Dr. Roy Thompson. He was born in 1933 and passed away in June of 2010. He was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan, raised in Dayton, Ohio, mostly in rundown hotels and sometimes even on the streets. Uh, He told the Plain Dealer, which was the Cleveland, Ohio paper, that his alcoholic father deserted the family. At 14, Dr. Thompson stole his big brother's wallet, used a driver's license to join the army. He wrote his mother and broke the news, and she turned him in. The army imprisoned him for three months and then sent him home. He later ended up uh, joining his sister, who lived in Akron, Ohio, and she brought him to a revival. And there he was saved, and he felt the call to preach. When Dr. Thompson became of the right age, he did join the army. They drafted him, and he was shipped to Germany. He memorized the whole Gospel of John and route, and he preached it on arrival. After his discharge, he went to Baptist Bible College in Missouri, and he graduated first in his class. He then moved to Cleveland, and in 1958, he worked to start Cleveland Baptist Church. He championed all kinds of causes. One of them was just being true to the Word of God. He said this, In 1995, mankind has a hollowness inside without spiritual values. We've gone to the nth degree in every area, entertainment, pleasure, and politics. And we found that there is little to help fill the void. Only Christ can fill that void. Pray that you enjoy the preaching of the Word of God by Dr. Roy Thompson today. Turn your Bibles to the book of Colossians, if you will, please. I'd like to encourage you, if anyone's interested in taking the trip to Albania, as Pastor Folger mentioned, that you see um, Gene Williams tonight, because uh, we have to make those arrangements immediately to get that air price. I I think the total price, the air price, is about $750 round trip. That's from Cleveland to Chicago to Rome, Tirana, and coming back the same way, and your hotel in Toronto and the hotel in Rome one night. I believe all that's included in the price of about $1,050 somewhere in that area. So it, it, it's a tremendous, tremendous price. If you have any interest, any interest in 
seeing that area, there will be people there to take you around and show you around, so everything will be uh, safe in that area. You must have a passport, of course. That would be a necessity, and you, you could get one possibly. It would, it would be very, you'd have to do it very quickly. But if you have any interest at all, see uh, Miss Jean Williams tonight, right after the service, and uh, let her know. Also, I want to tell you, I was up in Canada over the weekend. I uh, preached in Kitchener, Waterloo. That's, uh, well, I think that'd be a little bit northwest of Toronto. It's a, it's a metropolitan area, about 250,000. It's a beautiful area. And a young man went there about eight years ago to start a church. I think he was 51 when he went. God doesn't just use kids and young people. And um, he just he just hung in there. He just stayed there. It's been tough and it's been hard and it's been difficult. But he and his wife went with determination. They loved the Lord and they wanted to start a soul winning church, a Bible believing church. And uh, they did it. And they bought a building since then. They have a nice building there. It was their eighth anniversary, uh, just Friday night. So I was there for the banquet and to preach then, and then to preach all day Sunday. And we had good services, and good attendance, and it was really encouraging to me. And another reason it was encouraging is that. When they first started out, our church supported them for a couple of years financially to help them. And um, so that's another little part. I get to see some of those things you don't see, and I hope you can get at least some gratification out of knowing about it. I, I tell you, it's a, it's a good church, a sound church. They have a, a lovely facility now, and, and I think things are really going to go for them. So you pray about that. Kitchener Baptist Church in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Brother Ray Stone. Um, don't hold that against him. He's Al's uncle, but he's a decent fellow anyway. So uh, we just had a wonderful time there and, and uh, appreciate it. If you have your Bibles now in Colossians, I'd like to talk to you a little bit. Uh, tonight, I, I think probably I'll not get through my message. I think I'll probably use this whatever Wednesday nights I'm preaching maybe and share that with you. Brother Jim Pranger is back with us. I said, where are you, Jim, here tonight? Yeah, okay. Back from Russia. And he had a great trip. I don't know if you'll have it. If you have that together by Sunday night, maybe I'll. Maybe we can do something here Sunday night. To... Okay, don't do it this Sunday night. We'll do it some other time. He's already getting busy now. So he booked up. We're we're not good enough for him now. He's going out to these hot shot places. So he's successful. <laughs> okay, but uh, we'll we'll get to see those slides. I, I tell you, just I I didn't have much time to talk to Jim. He just came in and he was tired and I was busy and everything. But we chatted for just a little while, and I got excited just to steal a little bit of his thunder while he was there. If some of you people remember back a number of years ago during the Carter administration that there was a man came to this country because of religious persecution. He was a leader in the underground Baptist movement in Russia, a fellow by the name of Georgie Vins, a great, great man of God. And uh, one of the most exciting things that happened to Jim, he said his interpreter over in this particular area of Russia where he was was a young lady by the name of Natasha Vins, Georgie's uh, daughter that still lives there in Russia. And so that was a highlight, and one of the highlights of his meeting. But people were saved, and they're begging for missionaries to come. Uh, folks, if we don't do something now, we're going to pay a price later on. Uh, I don't know how long the door will stay open. I'm, I'm praying. I don't want to lose anybody. I never want anybody to leave our church. But uh, if God calls them, I'm hoping God will call some of our young people or even uh, older couples or married couples to go. Uh, I think Jim and his wife and children have already decided. 
trying to raise support and get over there. The living standards are not that high, so they won't have to raise as much as in some fields, but to, to be successful and to have work support and so on, but prayerfully by next summer even. So we want you to be much in prayer for that. Jim's one of the graduates of our Bible Institute and uh, active here in the church and faithful and his dear family. And so you pray that God make that possible. A number of people still thinking about Albania. And uh, things are changing there rapidly. We don't know again how long the door will be open, how, how long these opportunities present themselves. And you've got to jump at an opportunity when it comes. And uh, God opens doors and closes them. But I think when they're open, we have responsibility to go in. So pray much about that. And if you have any interest at all, please see uh, Ms. Jean Williams tonight. Now, here in the book of Colossians, this, uh, this, particular, this particular book was written to a church in the city of Colossae. And, and uh, Colossae was in a little uh, uh, triangle of cities, like three cities. You could almost say like here, Akron, Canton, and Cleveland. Cleveland being the larger city, and Akron, Canton, and Cleveland. Then Ephesus was, I, I believe, if my geography memory serves me right, about 125 miles away, I think, north. These cities were south. There was Colossae and Laodicea and Hierapolis, these three cities. And uh, Paul himself never went to Colossae. He never went there. He wrote this epistle by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he never attended church there, never preached there, as far as we know, as far as it's recorded in the scriptures or in any historical documents we have. He never went there personally. But a convert of his in uh, Ephesus, a young man by the name of Epaphras, who, was, who, uh, who lived in, uh, in, in this city, had gone and evidently heard Paul preach and got converted and got trained, got some training, and went back and was instrumental in starting this church. Now, um, there were these people in this particular city, these three cities now were, were fairly large cities for that time. They were industrial cities, they were intellectual cities. They had a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, training and colleges, universities as, as we would know them today. And there was a lot of false doctrine that was being spread there, not only by Christianity. Christianity was just getting a foothold. By the way, not to digress from my uh, message tonight, but um, Brother, uh, Brother Al Stone, was gonna, he's doing a, a series of meetings on the cults I did a couple of years ago. And I meant to get that film, and I never did, but uh, he, he rented a tape that he's going to show. There's a film called The God Makers. I don't know if you ever heard about it. It's about Mormonism. And it's the most enlightening film I've ever, I've ever seen. We watched it, I think, Monday night. It's about a 55-minute film. We've got to get there. You've got to see that. When you see that and, and you hear those, uh, those testimonies of people that used to be Mormons and what they were instructed, what they're told, what their doctrine is, and how they try to get out of that. You know, they pass themselves off as these nicely dressed people, young people with a dark suit and a tie and a shirt, and, and uh, they don't drink coffee and smoke cigarettes and this and that and the other thing. And they, they, they talk about the family and they talk about Jesus and they talk about all these good things. Probably one of the most wicked religions in all of the world. One of the most deceptive that there is. And yet one that is growing by leaps and bounds all across the world. They're, they have... Um, their young people dedicate themselves to two years of, of missionary work at their own expense. They don't get any money from anywhere. They save their money up, and they go out two by two for two years and give two years of their lives to spread the doctrine of Mormonism. And it's a tremendously interesting film. I, 
I couldn't believe that it was 55 minutes we had watched that, and informative, and well-produced, and so on. It's been out for a long time, but I'm hoping to get that. And it, this, this area here was more or less that kind of doctrine, cult doctrine, and false teachings that were going on there that Paul was fighting. Just to mention a few of them, Gnosticism. Now, you've heard, of course, we say agnostic. Now, agnostic is not really a good word, not a bad word, but I, I wouldn't want to be known as an agnostic. It's a word we get ignoramus from because gnostic means to know in Greek. Agnostic means not to know or to be ignorant of. So when a man boasts of being an agnostic, see, God calls an atheist a fool, and an agnostic could be an idiot or an ignoramus. And so an atheist says, there is no God. God said, you're a fool. An agnostic says, I don't know if there's a God. So he's ignorant of the fact. He's ignoramus when it comes to, to knowing about God. And so Gnosticism had taken hold in this area of the world at that time because of the intellectualism. And they, they, they kind of mocked people that believed these things. But these Gnostics, as there are many today, even in what we call fundamental circles when it comes to this matter of the Holy Bible today, they claim to have a superior knowledge to everybody else. You know, it's fine if you're educated. I think a person ought to be well educated. We live in a, we live in a day and age when you're, you're not hardly going to be able to get a job if you don't have a degree. Young people need to realize that you need to graduate from high school. And in today's, uh, in today's market, you just about have to have a college education if you're going into the business world or in any kind of specialized field. And, uh, and that's fine. If, if you go all the way, if you get your degree and get a doctor's degree, a, a postgraduate degree, and so on, all the degrees, all the education you can get, that's fine. But never use it as a club over somebody or, or to become so sophisticated and snobbish about it as to look down on people that, that don't have that much. And, and, and that's what the Gnostics did. They were so intellectual. They were so educated. They were so brilliant and smart. They knew so much. They just looked down their nose at everybody else because these poor people were ignorant and superstitious and, and didn't know. And that's, that's what kind of what Paul was fighting. One of the things was Gnosticism. And a lot of that today, again, I say, not only in fundamental but evangelical and liberal circles in the field of Christianity that are, are doing the same thing with the Bible. They want me to believe that I'm too ignorant to really understand this book that I've got to go to them, that I have to get their approval, that I have to, uh, that, that I have to uh, find out what the will of God is from them. I can't even know the will of God. I mean, they, they have a corner on the Holy Spirit, they have a corner on the Bible, they have a corner on knowledge, they have a corner on everything. And that, that's what we're facing today. I'm telling you, my brother and sister, if you're saved, you don't have to ask any man what the will of God is. If you want to know the will of God, you get your nose in this book and get on your knees and pray, and God will reveal his will to you. You have to ask anybody. I'm telling you that. But these men here seem to think, well, you've got to come to us if you want to know anything. That's one of the things that Paul was fighting. And then um, another thing was that they believed that, and it's kind of a, a Christian science doctrine, they believed that Everything about the flesh was evil and wicked in, in mankind. And so when Jesus came in the flesh, if he would have really been a man, then he would have been evil too. So he was just an emanation. It wasn't in reality a man. It just God appeared that way. Now, uh, 
the problem with that is, is what Christian science teaches. Nothing is real. There is no reality in this world. Pain is a thought, and sin is a thought, and crime is a thought. It's a bad thought, and you're just thinking that. You don't really mean it. It's not really there. It's just kind of a, 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 mind, a mind thing that you're just a man. Like when you're asleep, you're going to wake up, and the dream's over, and you'll be part of this oneness of God. So that's kind of what their doctrine is when you narrow it down. Well, Paul was facing some of these things in here. It'll help you to understand why he wrote this book, his purpose for teaching the things that he taught in here by the Holy Spirit uh, for these people to know and that we need to know. First of all, I think his, his purpose for the book, the, the whole letter, the whole epistle is that Christ is everything. When you know Christ, when you have Christ, when you learn about Christ, that's everything. Everything else takes second place to that. And all, Christ is all in all. When you have him, you have, in other words, he's preeminent. That's what preeminent means. In, verse, in chapter 1 of verse 18, now this, this word is used as we study it. And he, now it's talking about Christ, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Christ is to have the preeminence. N nobody, no person, organization ever is above Christ. Christ is above it. Christ is the head of the church. The church the body. body without the head is dead. There's no, there's no good to it. And so all life and all intelligence and all salvation emanates from the head. Christ the head. We are the body. So he is preeminent in everything. So his preeminence is declared here in chapter 1. I think probably that's as far as we'll get. Uh, first of all, he's preeminent in the gospel message. Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you, as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God and truth. As ye also learned of Epaphras, there's the young man I talked about, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of uh, the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So everything about the gospel is Christ. Everything he talks about, everything he emphasizes is Jesus Christ. That's not that the Father is unimportant, nor is the Holy Spirit unimportant, but in the plan of salvation, Jesus Christ has a preeminence. It is the gospel of Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. There's nothing in the gospel to glorify the Holy Spirit or glorify the Father. The gospel is simply the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything should, everything should center on him. When you find a religion or a cult or a church or a person or an individual or a group that wants to take away from Christ, 
the preeminence. And they want to they always talk about God, but they never want to talk about Jesus Christ. They don't want you to pray in the name of Jesus. They don't mind you talking about God or being religious. They, they, they don't even mind talking about the gifts of the Spirit or babbling in tongues or glorifying the Holy Spirit. But Jesus said, when he shall come, he shall glorify me. It is not the Holy Spirit's ministry to glorify himself. It is the Holy Spirit's ministry to glorify Jesus Christ. And when you find people that are glorifying the Holy Spirit, you are not finding people, no matter how happy they may seem to be, no matter outwardly how religious it may appear, if they are glorifying the Holy Spirit of God, they are not performing the ministry that the Holy Spirit intends for God's people to perform, and that is to glorify Christ. Christ is the central theme. The gospel is all about Jesus Christ. And Paul narrows everything down to that, to that one cause. He is preeminent in the gospel message. Then he's preeminent in the cross, obviously, in verse 13 and 14. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So everything about the cross, about Jesus Christ. God the Father did not die on the cross. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not belittling God the Father. I'm not making the Holy Spirit less important in the Trinity. I'm just merely telling you what the Scriptures does with the Gospel and what the Apostles did and what the Holy Spirit leads believers to do. God, God the Father is pleased. God the Father is pleased when I exalt His Son. Let me tell you something. There isn't anything on, on the human level there isn't anything that will make a parent happier than for somebody to brag about their child. I would, I would ten times, I mean that sincerely, I'm not any super humble person, but I'm telling you right now, I would ten times rather have somebody stand up and brag about one of my children than I would to hear them brag about me. I mean that sincerely. I mean, if it's genuine, you know, if, if, if your child deserves it and if they've earned it and if they're, if they're befitting of it, I would rather, much rather, it would bring more joy to me. And God the Father is pleased. It, it brings him great joy when we stand in the pulpit or in our daily lives or in our conversations, talk about Jesus Christ. See, people today who are not talking about God, you can talk to anybody about God. Everybody believes in God anymore. I mean, politicians talk about God. I mean, every, every, every politician here now, God bless America, thank God, isn't God wonderful, God's blessing, that's fine, I'm glad they do, don't misunderstand me, I'd rather have that than atheism. But I'm just saying that they, they don't want to mention Jesus Christ too much, you see, that, that, narrow, that narrows things down, see, the, the Jews will get upset with them, and the Mohammedans get, you mention God, Allah, whoever you want to, and, and not too many, just the atheists, there are very few atheists around. They're very few. You can't find a hand. We, in the whole state one time, they came up here to picket us at our Sunday morning service. I think there was nine of them. I mean, they, they, they went all over. They got a couple from Columbus and a couple from Dayton and one over in Lima and two here in Cleveland and one from California. All got together to come over and just really, really nail our hides. You know, all, all nine of them, the whole state of Ohio. You can't, you can't find a handful of real atheists anyplace. So it's not... It's not popular. It won't get you any votes to be an atheist. 
I mean, you, you want to lose an election, you know, they say the election's close. Now, I don't know who to believe. I don't believe anybody. I don't know who to believe anymore. They say the election's close now, but, but, but uh, you know, if, if, if either one of these guys, or either one of these three guys want to, want to lose the election for sure, all they got to do is get up and say, I don't believe in God. I don't believe there is any God. I believe that's silly superstition. I'm an atheist. You watch the polls go down, brother. He's done for. He'd, he'd nail his coffin shut on the election right there. It's not popular to be an atheist. It's rather popular to be, to be a deist, at least to mention God, our creator, anything, anything but don't give him that name, Jesus Christ, that name which is above every name. That name at which angels bow. And God the Father is pleased. And one day that name that will judge everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Don't mention that name. Paul couldn't write a verse without mentioning that name. When he mentioned God the Father, it was God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything was about Him. Everything centers around Him. He has the preeminence in God's plan, in the gospel message, in the cross, in creation. Look at verse 15 and 17. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by Him were all things created. For by Him were all things created. For by Him were all things created. See, that's the... That, that, that's the thing. You see, Joe Witness want to tell you he's a created being. If he's created, he created himself. He created all things. Didn't say all things, but one were created by him. All things were created by him because he's Jehovah God. He has preeminence. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him and he is before all things and by him all things consist I've read science books I don't know Mr. Nelson can shake his head at me if he thinks I'm wrong I don't I've been proven wrong before I've, I've even begun to doubt my infallibility later years but I, I've read scientists who say they don't understand completely what holds this earth together it's just molecules and elements, but why it doesn't just blow up like splitting the atom. They don't really understand that. Well, I do. It's by him all things consist. By the word of his power, he says, hold together, and it holds together. He, he's before all things. Jesus has a preeminent in the creation. He has preeminence in the church. Verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Let me tell you something, brother. If our song service ever gets to the place where all they sing about is he, he, dee, 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 all that he stuff, him stuff, it stuff, and we want to take the name of Jesus Christ out, and we want to sing about mother and sing about daddy and sing about each other and sing about this and sing about that and sing about something else, you need songs like that. Fast, Lord Jesus. Ruler of all nature. That's the kind of, think about a song, not just because the, the tune suits your fancy. Think about a song before you sing it. What does it say about Jesus Christ? 
God is pleased when you sing about Jesus Christ. He's pleased when I preach about Jesus Christ. He's pleased when you witness for Jesus Christ. He's pleased when you stand up for Jesus Christ, when you confess Jesus Christ, when you share Jesus Christ with the world. People don't get saved by hearing God, by God the Father. They don't get saved. They can know about God by the creation of the world, but they can't know about the gospel without preaching to them. How shall they hear without a preacher? The Bible says that. And so we're all preachers to go out and share the message of the glorious gospel of what? Of Jesus Christ. You can talk about the Holy Spirit. People don't get offended. Some might laugh at you. People don't get offended talking about the Holy Spirit. Just like I said, you can talk about heaven till you're blue in the face and nobody will get offended talking about heaven, but you start talking about hell and they get mad. You talk about God the Father, they don't care. You talk about the blessed Holy Spirit and they don't care. But you mention the name Jesus Christ, especially when you put Lord on the front of it. You're going to make some enemies then. you make some enemies. He's preeminent in the church for it pleased the Father. Verse 19, that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things in himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So in the church, everything, every, everything, the youth program, the Sunday school, the choir, the bus program, everything, everything about every program ought to revolve around the gospel of Jesus Christ and ought to bring glory to him. That's when God blesses. That's when God blesses. And quickly, and I'll close with this thought. <clears throat> He's preeminent in Paul's ministry, in his ministry, who now rejoice, verse 24, my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that you may present every man perfect in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. So everything about Paul's ministry was Jesus Christ, and it was centered in the church. Folks, let me tell you something. In, in my ministry, in my Christianity, there isn't anything outside this church. There isn't anything. I don't belong to any clubs. I don't belong to any unions. I don't, don't misunderstand when I say that now. I used the wrong word, boy. I don't belong to nothing except the Cleveland Baptist Church. I know I, men work and they have to join you. That's fine. I'm not talking about it. I'm just talking about clubs and this and that and the other. You can belong to all you want to. I don't care. I'm just telling you what I do. I'm telling you what my position is. I, I, I belong to the Cleveland Baptist Church. And to me, that's everything. Because Christ is the head of the church. And it's through the church that Christ gets the glory. See, our missionary program 
See, some people may put a little in, some people put a lot, but nobody knows. That's for nobody to know. That doesn't make any difference. Because why? The individuals don't get the glory. Christ gets the glory for it. That's the plan of God, and that's the way it ought to be done. So Jesus Christ is preeminent in everything. No salvation apart from him. No salvation. You can't go to heaven. You can join every church in town. Be baptized, do good, all those fine things, but you'll never get to heaven without Jesus Christ. He's, you know, he's preeminent. He's the preeminent one in everything. The gospel. Don't be ashamed. Can you understand what the Bible says? He that believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Shall not be ashamed. Of Jesus. How can you say I'm a Christian and be ashamed of Jesus Christ? Don't, don't talk just about God. Talk about Jesus Christ. He's the Savior of the world. He's the one God has used and planned to make preeminent. And he is, thank God for it. Let's bow our heads in prayer, please. If you've come tonight to be baptized, I think there's one or two, however, ready tonight to go and get ready for baptism. Facing me, facing me, ladies going left and gentlemen on the right, if you've come tonight to be baptized, anyone. Now, while our heads are bowed in prayer and Christians are praying, take just a moment, just a moment. You know, it's one of the most important times, solemn times of the service, any service, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. We give an invitation when people make decisions. And we don't try to drag it on. It, it wouldn't be bad to do that, and sometimes we do. But I think if you know that you ought to make a decision, you ought to make it right away. I don't think it should have to be long and drawn out. I just ask you tonight, if you're here, whether you're a member of the church or not, because being a member of the church doesn't mean you're going to heaven or been saved. You, you, could, you could have deceived yourself. But if you're here tonight and you don't know you're going to heaven, you don't know that you're saved, I'm telling you, there's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. And I'd like to present him to you tonight. And if you're here and you're not sure that you're saved, you're not dead level sure that if you died in the pew where you're seated right now, that you'd go to heaven. You don't know that. Would you let me pray for you? I won't point you out or embarrass you, but I would like to pray for you. Would you slip your hand up and say, pray for me? I'm not a Christian. I'm not saved. I'm not sure. But I need to be and I want to be. Pray for me. Is anyone like that tonight? Anywhere in the balcony downstairs? Visitor or not? I'm not saved. I'm not sure. But I want to, I want to be. Pray for me. Anyone at all? Wait just a moment. Just a moment. Anyone at all? Let's stand with our heads bowed in prayer, please. Besides this great freedom we have, we feel sometimes that perhaps this could be taken away from us. I know that We've had this for so long, and maybe we've just taken it for granted. There are people tonight that did not see the importance of coming to church tonight. So they've, they've remained at home. They have, they have failed to exercise the, the, the freedom that they have. And Lord, I pray that you'd, in spite of our carelessness, oftentimes you would, you would grant us years of freedom. You have to preach the gospel, even until Jesus comes. Lord, I pray that you would have your way and your will in this service, in this invitation, this time that we encourage people to come to Christ. May the Spirit of God work in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Pulpit. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. 
for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We pray that through the challenging preaching of the Word of God today, that you will be encouraged to stay faithful in preaching the Word and hearing the Word. Lester Roloff many years ago said, the world's greatest need is preaching preachers. Let's pray that in this day and this hour, we will stay faithful to the preaching of Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening to The Baptist Pulpit.